Bibles, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, and we will be there reading momentarily. But I want to kind of get you back in sync with what we're doing in this series because last week our missionary was here, and so we um, we kind of took a pause from our road trip series. But this week we will re-engage with this series. Um, this week is 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 part four of the road trip series, and here's what we've said so far is that I'm convinced that if you look at what God did with Israel, the journey God took Israel on, it gives us a picture for what God wants to do in the life of every person. So you can look at Israel's journey, and it's a template for what God wants to do in your life. Second thing we've realized is that we noted that it was a journey. It's a process. Walking, loving, serving Jesus is a process. And thank God he's in charge of the process and he's patient and kind. So we're all on this journey. So look at your neighbor and say, I got grace for you. Just keep moving. <laughs> Just tell him, keep moving. It's a journey. And we see that in, in Israel's progression as God was, was working in them. And the next thing I want to say is, I don't know if, if you're this way, but I so love looking in the Old Testament because the Old Testament gives us physical pictures of spiritual truths. So we see physical things that happen in the Old Testament, and they have such beautiful symbolism. So I love the symbolism in the Old Testament. I mean, when we look at Passover and we see the sacrificial Passover lamb, that's just a symbol of Jesus, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth, right? And so I love that symbolism. So this is what we're doing in, in this series. And I can tell you that I'm really passionate about this subject. I really, you know, the staff, were, as we're dealing with things throughout the week, I'm like, the answer's in the Israelites. How do we pay the electric bill? The answer's in the Israelites. There's an answer there somewhere, right? So I'm just really passionate about this subject. And I'm passionate about it for a couple reasons. One is um, I'm kind of a big picture guy. Now, I don't know about you, but when you go on a trip, you know, now we have these GPS smartphones. And I don't think we go to McDonald's without plugging it in our phone, right? And, and, and I think really to our demise, we're raising a generation that if you don't say to them, get in the left lane so you can turn a left in 800 feet, they won't be able to find their way out of the neighborhood, right? But, you know, we're all, we're all accustomed to this. But So when, we, when Laura and I go on a trip, she loves punching in the address, and she'll just hit go immediately, where it'll tell you, like, take a left out of the driveway. And I'm like, really? I'm a big picture guy, and what she's learned is type it in the phone, but before you hit go, give Jody a picture of the map. Because I want to see, oh, we're going through Houston. We're going to take I-10 to Houston, and when we get to Columbus, we'll, we'll turn north on 71 there and head toward, to Austin that away. I'm a guy who likes to see the big picture. All of you who immediately hit go are like, this has, no, this has nothing to do with me. 
but I kind of like to see where we're heading with this thing. And so when I look at Israel, I really can see like a general. Now, it's not the specifics, but I can see the general direction where God is bringing us and where God wants to bring me. And so I hope that by sharing this, maybe you'll get an idea that God's not interested in you dying in the wilderness. He wants to bring you somewhere. There's a promised land that he's, he's aiming at for you and kind of give you that picture, okay? So, so I am very much a big picture guy, but also looking at Israel, it helps me build my theology. Now, some of you are saying, you know, I've heard the word theology and that's a big fancy word, but can I tell you something? Everybody in this room has a theology. You have some concept, some idea of God. Every person in this room. The question is, do you have the right theology? Do you have a correct theology? And so when we look at Israel, it, it kind of shapes our theology. It, it helps us know the nature of our God. It helps us know the character of our God. It, it, it helps us know that God is interested in having a people for himself. So we, we, we develop our theology through this. So this is some of the reasons why I am so passionate about this subject. So here's what we've dealt with so far. We've seen in this series, here's what we've dealt with so far. We've seen Israel come out of Egypt and they were set free from Egypt by the blood of the lamb. Now, how does that relate to us? Because God's desire is that every person on this planet would be set free from the bondage of sin by the blood of his son, Jesus. That's, that's how it applies to us. So this isn't just a story from way back when. This has relevance today. So if you're not yet born again, the Lord wants to save you this morning. Next, we see that they went through the waters of the Red Sea, and the Bible tells us that the Red Sea is a picture of baptism. So you know what I can take from that? Is God wants me to be water baptized. The water baptism where we, it, it, it's this, it's this, this uh, process by which we bury the old man. The old life is put behind us, and we are actually born into a new life. So that's where we've covered that with Israel, and it still applies for us today. But the next thing that happens after they come out of the Red Sea, they find themselves in the wilderness. And so this is where I want to pick up this morning. I really want to talk about, uh, give a little more information about the wilderness. And so we're going to be reading in the book of Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. But let me give you just a little context before, before we start reading. When we begin reading here in Deuteronomy chapter eight, what we find is that Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, but he's not speaking to the ones who have come out of Egypt. Because those, most of those who have come out of Egypt have died, have passed away. This is actually the next generation. This is the children and the grandchildren of those who had come out of Egypt. So he's giving instructions to a new generation Okay? They had come out, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And in that wandering, most of that, of that generation has passed and now he's giving instructions to, to their children. So please keep that in mind that these are instructions to a new generation. Start reading with me in Deuteronomy chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. 
Here's what it said, Moses speaking. It says, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. Verse 6. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. So they're in the wilderness. It's this new generation And God's giving them instructions about how we're going to proceed. And here's what I want to say to you, church. I really really want to connect with you on this idea. Because I think sometimes we see the journey, when we look at Israel, we see the wilderness as a time of punishment. But that's not so. The wilderness was not a time of punishment. It was a time of preparation. In the same way that when our children are growing up, we don't just send them out into the world, we send them to school. And school is a time of preparation that helps them, that helps them get prepared, equipped to function in the world that they're about to move into. So what you find with the children of Israel is they had, they had come out of Egypt into this new life but they really didn't know how to function in this new life. And so the wilderness was about preparing them to walk in the new life that God had for them. It wasn't a punishment, it was a preparation. And the Bible said that they actually wandered around for 40 years. There's a lot of you in this room have not yet lived 40 years. I barely have. I just look like I've lived a bunch more. No, they wandered around for 40 years. Well, you know, again, there's so much symbolism in the Bible. And if you look at the number 40, the number in 40 in the Bible has, has spiritual symbolism or significance to it. And the number 40 in the Bible, it means this. It means testing, trying, or probation. Testing or trying or, or a trial period and a probationary period. So what we see in the very number of years that they wandered around is that it was a time where God was testing them. Number 40, testing, trial, probation. Remember that before Moses ever stepped into leadership, he spent 40 years in Pharaoh's house. Then he left Pharaoh's house at 40 and spent 40 more years in the desert, part of that working for his father-in-law, herding sheep. And he was 80 years old before he actually went back to Egypt to set the Israelites free. And he lived another 40, he wandered 40 years. So you see three 40-year periods 
in Moses' life. So whenever you see the number 40 in the Bible, you see a time of preparation. So Israel is wandering around in this, ilder, in this wilderness, and what's happening is God is working in them. And he's showing them their deficiencies. He's showing them, listen, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. And the wilderness experience was about getting Egypt out of them. Why am I saying this? It's for this purpose, church. Is that you and I still visit the wilderness or live in the wilderness in a lot of areas of our life. Where God is preparing us. What is he preparing us for? Remember, their destiny was not the wilderness. Their destiny was the promised land. But they were not prepared to live in the promised land. So they needed to go through a time of preparation. Now, the wilderness was a time of challenges. The very environment wasn't comfortable in the wilderness. There was lots of, again, we just read in our text that there were times when they were hungry and God allowed them to be hungry. Why? So that he could show them that he is their provision. And he, he, he used this time of wilderness to shape people, to prepare them to walk in their promised lands. And church... You know, we stand up here and, and often as a, as a minister, I, I read the promises of God over us and I encourage you to find the promises God has for you. But just know that before you can walk in a promise that God has, you have to go through a time where he prepares you to walk in that promise. I often use marriage counseling as an example. If I have counseled you, I'm going to now stand up here and tell what your issues are. No, that's not what I'm going to do. But I I do a significant amount of marriage counseling. And you know what I find is that you have people come into my office and they sincerely love Jesus. I mean, they really love Jesus, but their marriage isn't in a healthy place. But they have this idea that, well, I'm born again and loving Jesus ought to mean that I have a good marriage. And I want to tell you, that's not the case. You can love Jesus all day long and be at the divorce court tomorrow. Because it's not just about loving Jesus, it's letting Jesus show you how to love your wife. It's learning. Because some of us, I, t- I tell people all the time, relative, I mean, normal is such a relative term. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, normal is so relative. Because normal to some of you, Growing up was mom and dad had a fight and there was a couple of harsh words spoken and then um, dinner was kind of, you know, cold and distance. That's what normal was when there was conflict in my family. And you on this side of the room go, when there was conflict in my family, the police showed up. Somebody's in cuffs, a canine's biting somebody. Normal is relative. And we all come from different situations and and different backgrounds and different experiences. And can I say this? Different levels of brokenness. And just because you get born again and love Jesus doesn't doesn't mean you know how to walk in the life that he's promised for you. It takes preparation. And you know, the, the, the wilderness was also 
a place of pressure, where, where pressure was applied. And you know, we, we try to avoid pressure a lot in our life, but you know what I've found is that pressure exposes faults. If you, if you were to go outside and see your car, your car tire flat and your, your, your tire is sitting on the rim, how would you figure out what the issue is? Apply pressure. Put air in the tire and the internal pressure will expose what the, the issue is with the tire. You tracking with me? Any of you have ever fixed a flat tire in that way? You put pressure on it and it exposes the faults. Well, listen, in the wilderness, there's times of pressure. And we want to get away from the pressure. And God's saying, I don't want to get you away from the pressure. I want to use the pressure to expose the areas where you'll let me work. Because there needs to be some renewing of the mind. There needs to be some, some changes to the way you act and behave and think. So I'm going to use the pressure. That's why Deanna sharing this morning was so powerful. I think that's why in those moments where it's hard, those moments where there's tears, there's moments where we don't understand and we still throw our hands up and worship God, say, God, I trust that even in this time of pressure, even in this time of difficulty, you are working in me. You are exposing things in me so that you can help me to understand that it's you who provides the sustenance, the, the provision for my life. God will use the pressure. So I say this to you, church. I don't want anybody to, to start building a house in the wilderness where you live eternally in the wilderness. But also, I don't want you to despise the wilderness. Because some of you are facing wilderness experiences today that God wants to use to prepare you for your promised land. Another thing we find, though, about the wilderness is, remember that there was a time shortly after they had left Egypt that, um, that in their travels they got close to the promised land. And when they were close to the promised land, um, God told Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send out some spies to go look at the promised land. You remember this from Sunday school? Somebody tell me how many spies were there. There were 12 spies. Now, I think there's a lot of interesting facts here. There was 12 uh, spies because there were 12 tribes. So these 12 men were actually representatives of the whole of the, of the, the nation of Israel. Okay, so it was 12 men, but it was really, it's like delegates. Okay, so these 12 men were sent, and they were sent to spy out the promised land. And um, here's why I think this happened. Is because Moses told him, he said, hey, I want you to go to the promised land and I want you to see if it really is as good as God said it is. Now, this is Jody's paraphrase of the Bible. But Moses says, hey, guys, go to the promised land and tell me if it's really as good as God said it is. And then I want you to bring back some fruit. Okay, find some fruit there and bring it back. And the reason I believe God was doing this was he's saying, these people that I want to move into a promised land, it's going to be a challenge because I'm going to have to prepare them in the wilderness. They're going to have to face some things that are going to shape them. So it's going to be a challenging process. So we need motivation. 
So I need you to bring back a report to keep motivating these people to push through the pain that it's going to take to get there. So sure enough, these 12 spies, they went into the land. And uh, anybody want to take a guess how long they were there? A certain amount of days. How many days do you think they were there? 40. Number of testing and trials and probation. They went in there for 40 days. And they came back. And, and so that you got to think they call all of Israel together. And they're like, hey, the spies are back. Let, let's hear the report. So guys, tell me. Was it really as good as God said it was? And they said, whew, absolutely. Then they actually pull out the cluster of grapes that they brought back with them that was so big it had to be carried on a rod between two men. Now, I don't raise grapes, but that sounds like a bunch of them. So they come back with this report like, yeah, man, this place, this place is exactly how God said it was going to be. Then they said, you know what, though? There's enemies there. There's inhabitants there. There's giants there. And you can tell all the people are like, you know, they were excited about the grapes. And then when we get to giants, it's like. And, and they, they just keep talking, and, and, and you can just feel the, the, the energy in the room going down as they're describing the inhabitants of of the promised land and they end up saying you know um, in fact there's such powerful people in that land that we were like grasshoppers in their sight which you got to think is a ridiculous statement because how does he know what they look like in their sight you following that train of thought with me But in their mind, they had said, we can't do this. We know it's a good place, but that's not for me. Because because I, I don't possess what it takes to live in that promised land. And and the Bible actually says that if you read the first verse of the next chapter, I think this is in Numbers 14, verse 1, it says that at that report, all the people wept. So you go back, you go from this, look at these grapes, guys, and oh, the land's so plentiful to (laughs) a mass crying. Now, Jody, why are you telling us all this? I want to say for this reason. There were 12 spies sent. Ten of them came back with a bad report. Two of them came back with a good report. 16.5% of Israel said, we can do this. It's a good land. Yes, there's giants, but we serve a big God. And there was Joshua and Caleb, and they said, you know what? We know it's going to be a challenge. We know we're going to have to face some adversity, but God's big enough to bring me there. And those two men stood up in the face of everybody else. Everybody else is weeping and crying and saying, we can't get there. And there was two men who stood up and said, we can do it. Well, guess, guess fast forward 40 years. We have two self-fulfilling prophecies. Because the ones who said we couldn't do it, they all died in the wilderness. Their prophecy came true. 
And there was two men who said, we can. And their, their prophecy came true as well because they walked in and, and, and inhabited their promised land. Why am I saying this? Well, it, it's really because of this, church. Is that I think there's so much of the body of Christ. We've heard that God has good things for us, but somehow we believe it's not for me. I'm sure it's for this person. I'm sure it's for sister so-and-so, and I'm sure it's for brother so-and-so, but it's not for me. I want to tell you, church, there is a, a, a good promised land for you. Every time, every time the Bible described the promised land, it talked about how good it was. It's like he went over and over again going, it's good, believe me, it's good, believe me, it's good. I want good things for you. I have a good destiny for you. He just, every time he talked about it, he talked about how good it was. You can't show me one place where it says this promised land isn't good. But here's the bad news. Bad news is 93.5% of the nation missed it. They missed it. And I wonder if 93.5% of the body of Christ today is missing it. I'm not saying you just stroll on into this thing. And next week we're going to talk about the promised land and I'll show you some of those promises and I'll show you some of the things that I believe God has for us. But I think so many of us, we have built theologies because we have seen things in the word. We've seen that, that the word says that by his stripes I am healed. But what I also saw was that when, you know, Papa was sick, we prayed for him and he didn't get healed. And I have my theology in one hand and I have my experiences in the other hand caught in between. And I understand because I've been there. I get it. But I'm just so convinced, though, that God wants to use the wilderness, use the challenges, use those things to help my mind be renewed. As I get in his word, he teaches me his nature. He teaches me his character. He teaches me new habits. He prepares me to walk in the promises that he has for us. But some of us say, I'm not walking in those promises. And it's because you've never made the transition from the wilderness to the promised land because your mind won't let you go there. Am I talking to anybody here this morning? I'm just saying God's in this with us, church. God's in this. And I personally do not want to be a part of the 93.5% people who miss the promised land that God has for us. I don't know exactly what your promised land looks like, but I guarantee you, God's promised land is not for a dysfunctional marriage and not for your family falling apart and your finances falling apart and walking in sickness and walking in defeat and walking in brokenness. That is not the promised land God has provided for you. Now, you may be experiencing that, but here's what we tend to do. I want to give you this one last warning and then I'm going to finish on this. Listen, in the wilderness is a time where we build our theology. But we build our theology in the wilderness, but we don't build it on the wilderness experience. You got to catch what I just said. 
It's in those tough times in the wilderness where I learn something of the nature of God in the challenge of the wilderness. I learn about my God and my theology is built in the experience. But I don't build my theology on the overall wilderness experience. In other words, I don't develop a theology, well, God just wants me to be hungry all the time. No, no, no. There was a time when I was hungry, but in my hunger, I learned that God's my provision. And I learned how to feed and, and, and allow him to provide for me so that I don't be hungry anymore. I don't develop a theology that says God wants me to be eternally hungry. So it's in the challenges that we get in the word and we say, God, I'm facing something tough here. There's pressure and the pressure is exposing weaknesses. So Lord, I need you to show me what's broken in me. I need to show you, I need you to show me how my thinking needs to change, how to align my, my life with your word so that I can live in the promised land that you have for me. That's the journey church. So if I'll finish with one thought, it's this, if you find yourself in the wilderness, you're not being punished, you're being prepared. You're not being punished, you're being prepared. Embrace it. I always dance around this because I'm not sure it's polite to say in church, but you runners, Charles and them, you know this saying runners often have. Embrace the suck. There's times when this just stinks. Embrace it. Because God's using the pain, God's using the pressure, God's, God's using this to shape you. So if you're in the wilderness today and you're in a challenge, know that God's not punishing you, he's preparing you. So embrace it, take full advantage of it, get in the word, figure out what he's teaching you, what he's trying to show you, seek his face, find out what the issues are. Because the wilderness is not your destiny, the promised land is your destiny. The wilderness will just prepare you to walk in it. Would you stand up with me, please? So if you find yourself in tough places today, embrace it. <laughs> Learn from it. Grow from it. Praise in the middle of it. I just feel something right there. Praise in the middle of it. Some of us are in a tough time, and we need to quit whining and start praising. We need to quit pouting and start praising. I don't know what you're facing right now, but it, but it may be that the secret to victory is praising your way through it. In the middle of the storm, in the middle of the wilderness, God's working in you. So here's how I wanna finish. I, I want you to know that if there's pressure in your life, don't panic. God's using it. God's gonna use the pressure to shape you. Okay? But also don't get comfortable there. Don't, don't build your theology on the fact that, well, God just wants me to struggle through my whole life. That's not true. If you'll learn the lessons, then you'll move past the pressure into the promise. But it's up to us. Listen, there was not a predetermined time, length of time that Israel was to spend in that wilderness. It had everything to do with them. How pliable were they? How, how engaged in the process were they? They could have made it through there in just a couple weeks. Instead, they spent 40 years there. The question is, how long are you going to spend there? How long am I going to spend there? God's got a destiny. 
And you know, I've heard some challenges in the last you know, couple of years about Jeremiah 29, 11, you know that verse where it says of Jeremiah that I, I know my thoughts I have for you, thoughts to bless you and prosper you, bring you to a good place. You know, there's been some people over the last couple of years saying, you know, that was a promise just for Jeremiah. It's not for everybody. It's not for all of us to claim. It's just about Jeremiah. I understand that that was a specific word for Jeremiah, but I know my God enough to know that his plans for me are good as well. His plans for my children are good as well, right? And so, so I'm just gonna, God's got a good destiny for God's got a good destiny for you. But it's those challenging times that shape us to walk in it. And I hope I've made sense. I hope this has meant something to you. And I hope if you're in those challenges this morning, that you'll embrace them. That you'll say, thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to shape me. Thank you that every day you're preparing me to walk in the promises that you have for me. Can I pray for you? If this has meant something to you and, and you just want God to work in you and prepare you, just take some posture of, of worship before the Lord. Maybe you're just opening your hands before him right like this. Lord, would you just work in us? I give you permission, God, to shape me, even in the challenges. I give you permission to shape me and mold me. And Lord, by your grace, when the pressure comes, I'm going to turn to you. Help me find that you are the answer to pressure. Thank you for what you're doing in us. The Bible says, Jesus, that you are preparing for yourself a bride. I'm not preparing a bride. You're preparing a bride for yourself, Lord. Work in us. Prepare us as your bride. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.